Nope, I'm all, I'm all wired up. I almost said good morning. Some spiritual habits, they never die. Anyway, it's uh, good to be here. A um, little bit more about myself. Uh, ha- I actually have three full-time jobs. One is um, pastor of uh, leadership development at MANA. That's a full-time job. Then I travel a lot. I oversee churches and do stuff. That, so there's the translocal ministry. Most important job is I am married, and uh, I don't get paid for that one. <laughs> well, I do, I do, but it's, it's, it's just not money. Um, and I have three wonderful daughters, my wife Becky, my daughters Rose, uh, Tessa, and Anna. And so that's all you need to know about me. No. I have I've known, Will, uh, Pastor Willie and I have talked over the years. Hey, how you doing? Go to meetings like that. We say nice things to each other and maybe, you know, crack a couple jokes. Well, I'm, I'm more of a jokester and he just smiles at me and goes, oh God, please help that man. Um, but there's, some, you know, I've, I've always, I know about him um, and I've always respected not only his leadership but his example. So when it worked out that he had asked me to come up, um, we worked hard, didn't we, Willie, to, to schedule this thing? I mean, because it was hard. We had, but I was bound and determined to come to serve him and uh, the church here. So I'm, I'm probably pr- pretty excited about being here. You know, of course, you guys are sort of excited to be here, but think of how weird it is. You're going to go to a couple-day seminar on how to experience more spiritual freedom. I mean, what does that say about you? You know, I mean, well, you're not coming for your friend. You're coming for yourself, right? So, I mean, I'm excited to be able to serve you. Some of you are, you know, well, I'm really excited to be here, I think. Because <laughs> i got issues, and I just don't know what to do with them, or, you know. So, uh, anyway, I want to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some introductory stuff to sort of set the stage, and then we'll get up, and really, it'll be a real five minutes, okay? Five minutes to get blood back, and then we'll go into the, to the first session, okay? But first, I'm going to pray. Oh, by the way, worship was kicking, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Just, I mean, yeah, performance-wise, skill-wise, it was great, but just the Holy Spirit was there. I just really appreciated it. So... Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, obviously you're here, you are amongst us, um, and for most of us here, you dwell in us. God, uh, what, what a miracle, Holy Spirit, that you, you're here, and, and you live in us. But quite honestly, Lord, that's not enough. Just having you here is not enough. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what only you can do that you would, you would bring truth to us that transforms us. Um, it's great to be informed, but we'd much rather be transformed. We don't know what it'll look like to be different than who we are now, but we look to you, Holy Spirit, that you would bring truth to us. You would bring Jesus to us in a way that transforms us. God, we ask that you would do that, not only for our sake, but we ask that you do that 
for the sakes of the people that we say we love, for the communities and groups of people that we say we love, would you transform us? And God, we ask that you would transform us for the sake of your name, because whether we like it or not, we carry your name wherever we set our feet. Amen. Well, first I want to thank you for, uh, I mean, look, this is Friday night. Uh, George, right? That was your name? George and I are sitting there going, here we are, Friday night. Friday night at church. But then we both realized, well, I'll, I realized. I remember when, well, I did a whole bunch of other things on Friday night. Right? And so I'm going, well, you know, maybe it's a pretty good idea to come to church on Friday night. Um, but still, the fact that, you know, you're working, you have a long week, probably had to throw down some food and then get here. That means you want something. There's a little bit of hunger, a little, little more wanna than simply, I just want to go see a good meeting. Um, thank you for your courage. Seriously, it takes courage to come to a seminar like that. Because again, you're not coming for someone else. You're coming for you. So, you know, you are dragging your issues. Or maybe you're at, you think you're dragging your spouse's issues to this thing. Come on, honey, you should go to this. All right. <coughs> but really, um, it takes courage to come to these sorts of things. And uh, also sacrifice. I mean, well, there's no more baseball games. There's no World Series. But I'm sure there's TNT, NBA. There's something that we're missing. Or maybe just going to bed early. So there's a measure of sacrifice for you know, coming tonight. And it's going to be a little bit of a marathon tomorrow. Um, but really, it'll be worth it. I'm telling you, it'll be worth it. Um, so thanks. Thanks. I mean, I come up here, and I know what I'm doing, so to speak. I, I know what God's going to do, so I, I have a frame of reference. You all have no idea what's going to happen here, right? So it takes a little bit of courage. Uh, some housekeeping. Uh, in the notes that you have, there's a thing called confidential questionnaires. Don't worry about that, because there are none, okay? That was something, just, just forget you saw that. Um, it's, it's actually a tool that I use in very large seminars, uh, very large workshops where people, they can go through things and answer questions that are very confidential, but God uses them just to bring stuff up, you know. But this is a little more cozy. We really don't need it. Uh, what you have is a teaching notebook. This is designed for use. Uh, I really, really encourage you, you know, as I'm teaching... If I bring up an issue where you go, hmm, that might be me, just make a mark, make a note, you know, got to forgive someone, well, Uncle Bill, you know, write all that stuff, and not only will you use it tonight and tomorrow, you will use it down the road. And really, don't, don't care if anybody sees you writing stuff down, right? Because if they're preoccupied with, with what you're doing, and that's something they need to write down. You know, the, you know that spirit of nosiness, right? Or, you know, you say, honey, are you writing this down? You got issues, man. You got, just leave him alone. Leave the boy alone, right? And just deal with your stuff. Um, cell phones, I know, um, you know, you got to have them. I would encourage you to put them on buzz, you know, or vibrate or something like that. And... Uh, if it goes off and you go like that, we promise not to assume that you're manifesting. Yeah. 
We just figured that the phone's going off. You gotta talk to a babysitter or something like that. Uh, I can always tell a congregation that's been around a bit when they get that joke. <laughs> anyway, here's the format. I'm going to teach, and then there will be a time of response. Now, the, the sanctuary here, uh, the worship center, is large enough, large enough for us to, when it's time to respond to the teaching, we can go off and have a little bit of privacy because you need it. You need it. I mean, you, you don't have to respond real loud, but it's really good to use your lips and your voice, say, oh, Lord, please forgive me for this, or I forgive someone like that. Even if it's just whispering it, there's something about responding verbally to what God's doing in your heart because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth's going to speak. So that, and there's something very liberating about using your words to express what's going on in your soul. Ever met a guy that, you know, he loves you, but he just won't tell you, right? But then one day he just goes, I love you. And it's like, it's real to him. Hopefully. Actually, in high school, there was this girl I really loved. And I was waiting so long. I finally told her I loved her. And when it came out, I knew it wasn't true. (laughs) You find out. But I was not saved then. Um, Anyway, the time of response, and I'll coach you through it, will be fairly straightforward. There'll be these issues we'll talk about. If the Holy Spirit goes, oh, that might be me. And there will be a way, not a formula, but just a basic way that you can interact with God and start dealing with these things. Um, I know God sometimes just sovereignly goes, and we get free, right? But, you know, usually tearing down strongholds doesn't come in a song. It gives us faith that he can tear down strongholds. But the issue is, how does God tear down strongholds? And he, it's not just, here's a song. Whoa, we're free. It doesn't happen that way. It just gives us faith that God can do that sort of stuff. Um, we have our personal prayer trainers. Could our personal prayer people please arise? All right, see these people? They're guarding the door. They're not letting you out. Now, here's the deal. You know, we had a meeting, we prayed, and all that. These are, you know, mature believers who have absolutely no issues in their lives. No. No, what's going to happen is, uh, you, can, you can all sit down. What's going to happen is, when it's, when it's game time for you to partner, sometimes it's not easy. Actually, if you've never done anything like this, it's not easy at all. And when you have, they're all trained, they know what to do, they're not going to counsel you, they're not, and you know, we we talked about how important confidentiality is. What they're going to do is help facilitate, help help you get the train out of the station so you can get some momentum in, in, in interacting with God. It's like working out. For those of you who have, you know, worked out on weights or at least know people who do, if you're bench pressing, usually, you know, three, three sets of ten. So you pound out the first ten and you're good. Then you go to the second one, a little too quick, and you get to eight and you're starting to struggle. You go, I think I'll rack it. And then the third set, I'll do twelve. You know, you'll make it up later. That only works when you have nobody spotting you. But if you got someone spotting you, 
and you get to eight, you, a good spot is going to go, come on now, there's only two more. Is that all you got? Come on, come, 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 come. There. They're not going to lift it for you. But because they're there, you get the most out of it. That's what our prayer people are here for, to be able to say, okay, what's God doing? Uh, you need to forgive them? Okay, you know what you need to do. Let's do it. I'm here with you. Uh, this actually comes out of Scripture. You know, in James, when it says, when we confess our faults or our weaknesses, you know, or our hurts, I mean, it's a very big word there. When we confess it to someone else, right, we're made whole. So there's something about doing a face-to-face, especially if you've never done anything like this before. Now, nobody's going to force you to, but I'm telling you, when, it, when, it, when it's response time, I'm going to ask, does anybody need any help? If you feel that nudge, or if you feel that, I want to, but I don't want anybody to know, just raise your nasty hand. I mean, I don't want anybody to know. Maybe, maybe you just doing this will break the fear of man. All right, so I encourage you. And, and really, because I think you all know each other. Really, and you said, oh man, if I raise my hand, everyone's going to probably figure out what my issue was, right? Who cares? They should be praying about their own issues. All right? This is a time where you don't care who knows what or thinks what they know. This, you're here to experience spirit, more spiritual freedom. And when you're praying with people, or when they're helping facilitating, come on, one more. Yeah, I know he's sexually abused you, but you've got to forgive him. Not for his sake, but for your sake. Come on, just do it. Don't ask God to help you. He's helping you out. Just do it. I mean, you've got to do it nicer. Um, do it. Just do it. And in that obedience, God follows it up with incredible grace. It's such an amazing thing. Now, when you confess stuff, especially if you confess it in the hearing of someone else, you're like me. What are they going to do with what they know? Right? Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, and so I actually grew up with a lot of friends in the mafia. It's like for real. And so if anybody betrayed me, betrayed me I, I would know what to do with them. But since we're Christians, okay, um, we talked about this, you know, when we got together. And seriously, um, the only people they're going to talk to about what, what you shared is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, it's not going to go beyond that conversation. It just won't. I, I, I tried to share it in a real nice way, the fear of the Lord, you know? Um, so go ahead, take a courageous step with someone. Um, what oftentimes happens is Friday night we get together and we, you know, you, you see what's coming down the pike and you go, that's great. I think I'm going to mow the lawn three times tomorrow morning. Right? Or, yeah, my kids miss me. You made the plans, but then you come up with an excuse. And it's usually because your soul is going, ooh, I don't want to go there. Um, I'll just, I'll listen to the notes. I'll, I'll listen to the notes. That would be another problem. Um, I'll, I'll listen to the recordings. I'll look at the notes. You can do that and God can use it. But I'm telling you, this is the time you run to this stuff. You don't run away from it. When, when, when You know how your soul just comes up with excuses? You go, oh, maybe I can do this another time. Or I'll talk to pastor and maybe we can do this next year. And I'll be, 
there's freedom, there's no condemnation, but these next two days are game time. You want to run to this stuff instead of run, run away from it. So I just want to encourage you, go, go to all the sessions. Um, CDs will be available, and the notes will be available. I mean, you can mark these things up, and hopefully you have friends. This, is, th- this happens a lot. You go, wow, this is great. You know, can I have the recording? Oh, this is great. You go through it, and you go, well, I need better notes. And besides, i got some friends who have seen the transformation in me. They've asked me, yeah, what happened to you? I said, well, I went to this thing, and it started a process in me. Really? Yeah. Can I do that? Sure. I'll get the recording. I'll get you the notes. I'll go over them with you. You know, I mean, wouldn't that be great? Instead of telling your family to get themselves squared away so that you can be happy, what you do is you get yourself squared away. They see the difference, and then you got something to bring them, right? Okay. You know, uh, actually, I do a lot of prophetic ministry, and my natural inclination is to go, okay, what does that mean? But I'm over it. Okay. So the notes and the recordings will be made available and um, free. Yeah, it won't cost your freedom, won't cost you any money. Uh, it'll cost you other stuff, but it won't cost you any money. Okay, I'm going to start doing some introduction stuff. Um, This is a no-duh, but there's a great need in the body of Christ to understand and experience spiritual freedom. Um, Why do I say that? I think many of you have a good understanding of spiritual freedom. You could probably tell people what they need to do to get free. And that's all good. It's great that we know a lot of truth. I mean, truth is really important. But have you ever noticed people that there's some people, they know a lot of truth, but what they know is not yet real in them? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever met the person who goes, I hate people with anger problems? You know, they know the truth, but there's just something, there's a disconnect. You know how that is? We don't want to just understand. We want to actually experience spiritual freedom. Um, I do enough traveling where I can actually talk about the Western church. Um, you know when James talks about there's a lot of people that know the truth, but they don't actually put it into practice, and therefore they deceive themselves, right? There's something about we don't want to just know truth and, and being able to talk about truth and get excited about truth. We want to actually experience it. And that's what this thing's about. We want to experience spiritual freedom in a greater way. There's going to be four topics. I'm going to give you the brief overview. And please don't run when you hear the last one. Most people go, I think I'll have lunch. Don't worry about the last one. Tearing down strongholds. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. Strongholds are simply ways of thinking, ways of posturing your soul uh, in a way that you have your own truth, you have your own reality, but it actually stands against the knowledge of God and his ways. You know, a good example is, you know, a lot of people love Jesus, but they have a problem with God the Father. Why? Because their daddy wasn't all that. And, and 
if you ask them why, it's hard for them to explain the connection, but they actually have in their soul, not in their mind, in their soul, an idea of what a man in authority is going to look like. And their experiences inform them of that. And they, and they think that, well, a daddy or an uncle or a police officer or all these things, that something bad. Now, Jesus, he's not like that. But God the Father. I mean, and these are things in our soul that are so real. And they've been around for so long, we don't know what it's like not to have those. That's what strongholds are. And we're going to show how God first shows us that we have strongholds. Have you ever thought you know stuff, and then God turns the light on and you go, I, I think i got a problem here, right? Strongholds are like that because they're just basic ways of looking at the world. It sort of frames your reference, and then you don't know it's like not to have that frame of reference. Second one is breaking curses. Now, curses is a fairly straightforward thing. They're just basically lids in our spiritual walk. We, we love God. We know God. We're doing all that we can. But it's like three steps forward, eight steps back. We don't know why. We will talk about curses in a way that you'll go, now that makes sense. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, Scripture knows what it's talking about. You know, curses. This is where curses come from. This is how God deals with curses. And I can be free of those, those lids. Wouldn't that be great? Third, this is where most of us experience some of the greatest impact. But it's usually because we've done our work in the strongholds and the emotional, th- uh, in, in, in the curses area. How do we deal, <coughs> how does God deal with healing emotional wounds? I don't know a human being who has not been hurt, betrayed. I don't know anybody. Um, and really, if, if, if you're one of those people who've never been hurt, never been betrayed, please come up so that we may worship you. I mean, good God. I mean, everybody's been hurt. And actually, fundamentally, we are born with broken hearts. We are born with it. We're born broke. How does G- Jesus heal broken hearts? Um, we don't want to just know it. We want to experience it. And then deliverance from demonic influences. I can guarantee you, and I'm not being prideful, we're not going to have any problem with demons here. We're just not in the name of Jesus. You know, Nobody's going to have to worry about, ah, we are many, you know, flopping around, doing all that sort of stuff, because it ain't going to happen. It just is not going to happen. Especially since, I'm just telling you what God's doing. When we allow God to deal with strongholds and then deal with curses and then deal with the condition of our heart, the enemy has got no place to operate. Have you ever, ever seen puppy dogs on linoleum for the first time? That's what happens to the enemy when you remove the ground that he's been building stuff on. He, he can't operate the way he used to. So we're just going to deal with that and then God's going to meet us. I mean, it's, it's great to have surgery. It's great to have God. But God loves to give us power to walk out the truths that we've experienced. So you're going to come out of here, at least on the inside, going, Yes, God did this, and I have power from God to move forward. So I think that's a pretty good thing.
Um, I want to say a couple so you understand where I'm coming from. I believe it's good that we understand spiritual freedom. We get into the Bible. We know truth and all that. But there's a limitation to understanding things. Um, our Western world, we love to know things. We love to know the truth and all that. And we love to explain why we are the way we are. But I'm going to say something rather radical, but it's true. Knowledge and explanation by itself will never bring freedom. Never. Never. You can go, well, I know why I'm like that because my daddy was like that and my first mom was like that and then the other mom, the one who rode to work on a broom, yeah, she was like that, all that sort of stuff and that's why I am the way you are. How free do you feel? You know why you are the way you are. Here's a, here's a nice example. I'm, again, I'm from New Jersey so I can talk about drive-bys and stuff like that. Um, imagine you're walking down the street, just minding your own business. car comes by. And as it comes by, hand comes out, at the end of the hand is a gun. Nice semi-automatic. And boom, boom, boom. And you just step right into the middle of it and it hits you in your head, you fall down. And you're just laying there. You're bleeding out. And there's a passerby. They see it all happen. They come up to you and they ask you this stupid question. You're all right. Why do we do stuff like that? Are you okay? And, and you're laying there and you go, well, what happened? What happened? And the guy goes, I saw it all. You were just driving, you know, walking by this drive-by. I could see he was aiming at the other guy on the other side of you, but he didn't see you and you just stepped in the wrong place, wrong time, and bullets went into your head. That's, and, and then you're laying there and you go, oh, well, praise the Lord. Now that I know why I'm where I'm at, I feel so much better. You know what I'm saying? You know, explanation all by itself is not going to set you free. I mean, look, you know the story of uh, Ezekiel, dry bones? When, you, know, when God, you know, God says, what do you see? A valley of dry bones. And then he asks the question, can these dry bones live? And because Ezekiel was a mature man of God, he had no opinion. You got that one. Because he said, oh Lord, only you know. And then, so this is God's solution to the dry bones. Thus saith the Lord, you are dry bones. And you're dry because of your sin. You're dry because of your ancestors' sin. That's why you're dry. Is that going to help the bone? And that's actually not what God told Ezekiel to say, to, to speak life, to speak life. It's great to have an understanding of why we are the way we are, but the freedom doesn't come in knowing why we are where we're at. The freedom comes with the operation of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we want. And uh, the second thing is, I want to talk about what real freedom really is. Uh, th this is a, in my background a long time ago. Um, I used to be a philosophy professor. That's right. People used to pay me money to think deep thoughts that were either irrelevant or irrelevant. <laughs> no, really. I mean, I, I taught some good universities. I mean, I was smart. Oh, was I smart. And, uh, and we learned a lot of things. And 
And then, you know, and then, you know, when you meet God, you, you don't feel smart anymore. You know, and then when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you know you're not smart. You just go, whatever I bring to the table, it's not even a close second. Anyway, in, in, the, in the intellectual world, freedom usually means something like this. I am free when there's nothing that influences me and I can do whatever I want. That's what freedom is. Now, here's a, this is, I'm being philosophical. Number one is, there is no such thing as that kind of freedom. There is no way you can just sort of, just sort of flush all your influences and then be the real you. Yeah, I mean, you, there's always going to be a little bit of some, right? So it, it's a fantasy. It's, it, actually, it's a deception. It's actually the basis of progressive liberalism. I'm telling you. Sorry, I didn't mean to get political. Yes, I did. No, but it's... Anyway, so it's, it's a fantasy. Real freedom, according to Scripture, has a lot to do with not whether or not you're free from something. It's actually, what are you a slave to? The freedom that a human being is designed to want almost always is a matter of to what or to whom are they going to be enslaved? I mean, you remember when you fell in love the first time? And it's like, oh, I'll do anything for you. you know, I mean, you'll stay up all night. You do all these crazy things. You know, and, and how do you feel? I feel so free. I mean, it's just weird how that is. You know, you're just giving yourself over, right? And after a while, it bites you. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, you know, making another human being God, they're bound to disappoint. Right? It just, really... There's a lady here right now looking at her husband. That's why you've been ticking me off. You're just not a good God. Anyway. And then he'll go, well, honey, then all you have to do is repent for idolatry. Anyway. Here's what real freedom really amounts to. Three aspects. To the extent that you actually know God, then to that extent, you're genuinely free. Not knowing about, but you know, interacting with God and knowing who he really is. There's something. That's what freedom involves. Second is actually trusting God. I'm not talking just about trusting God with you know, your, your eternal future or trusting him that he's forgiven all your sins. That's really important. But have you ever noticed that God, even though we've given him everything, he leads us into various circumstances where we have to trust him in the concrete realities of life. Here, right? There's something about trusting God with this. So to the part, part of maturation is learning to trust God here. Trust God with your heart. Trust God with your future. Trust God with your relationships. And trust God with your finances. And it's, there's always something. Have you ever noticed that? You know, the older you get, you start trusting. You say, I want to have to trust God for my older, older age. You know, I used to be young. I'm not young anymore. Oh, God, what am I going to do? You know, I think I'll perm my hair so I can be young forever. No, come on, trust God and see how he wants. You get the idea. So there's something about trusting God. And when it comes to repenting or forgiving and all that, 
It requires trust. Third one, obeying God. Obeying God and following His ways also to the extent that we obey God. Then to that extent, we're going to be free. People who struggle with this, they're afraid. You know, some of you are going, oh, I don't know if I want to come. Here I am. What am I going to do? You go, I'm going to take this little step and you come. You have all these mitigating circumstances trying to tell you not to come, but you choose to come anyway. In the step, you're the freest person in the universe. Think of the demoniac. Not long. The guy who's, you know, he's packing critters. He's got demons all over the place. He sees Jesus. And he runs toward him. Could you imagine what those demons were saying to him? What are you doing? Look, you stink. You've been beating yourself up. You have a lot of sin. Nobody likes you. And you're carrying dozens of us. He's not going to want you. And, and besides, there's too much. It's not going to make it. Up, 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 up. And here's this guy just dragging his nasty stuff to Jesus. That's freedom. So, I mean, you're going to have opportunity to get more free. I want to say something about freedom, uh, about obedience. Obedience is not the same as legalistic perfectionism. Legalistic perfectionism says that obedience is getting it right. Doing it right. Obedience does not require getting it right. For example, let's say you have a four-year-old son. And you go, son, it's time that you clean your room. Mama's not doing that anymore. Daddy's not doing it. You go clean your room. And of course, you've raised your son right for the four years. And he goes, yes, Father. So he goes in. I can dream. He goes in. Two hours later, because it takes two hours, right? Because they got to play with the stuff and all that. Dad, I'm done. You walk in, and the place is spotless. Where are the dirty clothes and the toys? Y'all know. Under the bed, back in the dresser, or in the closet, right? Now, here's a question. Did your son obey you? Absolutely. Did he do it right? No, but yeah, you got to start somewhere, all right? You don't, you don't go, so, look, I told you, clean your room. You didn't do it right? Oh, Dad, thanks for your encouragement. Now, if the kid's 18 years old, you got another problem. You know what I'm saying? So, there is something, don't worry about doing it right. Just get the train out of the station. Not only is there a great need for us to experience spiritual freedom, in the face of that need, there's great promise. God just doesn't show us the need. He shows us you know, his solution. And the promise comes in the form of a, some really cool scriptures. One is, Jesus came. Part of his mission was to heal broken people just like us. And that's part of it, to heal broken hearts and to set captives free. Now again, some strongholds come up. There's still, some people go, well, I'll get myself fixed so I can be acceptable to God. It sounds pious. It sounds right. But it's actually religious. It's the sort of thing that really ticks, uh, well, it ticked Paul off. The idea that you get yourself right in order to come to God, what you do is you just take your nasty, sad self into the presence of God, not because you're all that, but because what Jesus has done, you take your nasty self 
to God, and then he makes things right. That's the gospel. We always have to remember this. And a lot of people go, oh man, I have unforgiveness, I've been sexually abused, and I did this, and I've been divorced, and oh man, look, I'm going to get myself confident, get some things fixed, and then I'll come to God. I'm telling you, you're just killing yourself. No, you're killing yourself. Jesus came to heal broken hearts. He sets us free because he wants to set us free. Have you ever just wanted to do that? You just want to, someone's all bound up and you don't want anything from them? You just want to see them free? You know that feeling? Listen, imagine your, your kid gets into a whole bunch of bubble gum. You know, like ten packs. And they put it in their mouth and they chew it and they blow this big bubble. And you're watching. You just can't wait for it to happen. And it pops. And all this gum. And there they are, stuck in a corner in a gum cocoon. Right? After you're done laughing. After you're done laughing. What are you going to do? You know, well, look, son. I need the lawn mowed. I need you to do this. I need to clean your room and all that. I'm going to set you free so that you can do all those things. No, you just set the kid free just to set the kid free because you love your kid. I mean, who wants to see their kid? You know what I mean? I mean, when Jesus sees when Jesus sees your captivity, he's, his heart is, man, if we can work together, I know I can set you free. And I do it because I like to set you free. God is not only willing, but really, 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 he is able to strengthen us especially in our weaknesses. Look, we're all Americans, right? Or most of us are Americans. We have this idea that weakness is a bad thing. God looks at our weaknesses and he goes, wow, you got a weakness? What a great opportunity for me to do my best stuff. I mean, that's why Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses because that's where, that's where the Spirit of God rests on me in power. That's where God's strength is matured and manifested. So wherever you have unforgiveness, wherever you've been shamed, where you have, or wherever you've just really massively screwed up and all that, God's not saying, well, that's great, no problem. He said, no, that's a problem. But that's the opportunity. That's the place where I can do my greatest thing. So how God looks at our weaknesses is a lot different than we do. Um, one of my favorite scriptures, Psalm 69:33, says, "God does not spy, despise his captive people." This is a big deal. I mean, it's a stronghold for many of us. How do we act when we know we got issues? How do we think God looks at us? Many of us think God's going, "I died for you. I love you. Maybe we can hurry up your life so you can just get to heaven." You know that <sighs> despising is not in God's repertoire. He does not despise his captive people. His captivity actually draws him to to fight on your behalf and do things that you will never, ever, ever be able to do on your own. I wrote something down, and for me it was original. The Lord gave it to us. Um, Gave it to me. Our captivity does not affect his love for us. That you know, if you, do, if you go through this and you don't change at all, or you walk out and you even get worse, God is not going to love you less than he loves you right now. 
Or if all of a sudden you have the greatest breakthrough, you're a completely different person, and you just keep on walking in ever-increasing freedom from this day forward, God's not going to love you any more than he loves you now. Our captivity will not affect his love for us, but his love for us will affect our captivity. You get his love close enough to where we're wrestling, you take God's ways, which are always loving ways, bring them close to our issues. The fact that we have issues won't drive them away. But I tell you, the love gets close. Something's going to have to give, and it ain't going to be God's love. Does that make sense? Why are you all here together? Here's the purpose. Well, one is to help you. Uh, to gain increasing spiritual freedom and then establish a foundation for a lifestyle of ever-increasing freedom. I have no, no idea how far God's going to take you. You may have a complete cleansing of the soul, or you may get, wow, this is really great. It's great to have the events, the experiences, but God wants to parlay those things into a lifestyle. Look, when you take little kids, you know, a picnic or something, you know, you pick up little kids and you go, okay, I'm going to turn you around. They go, no, no, Uncle Ben, no. But you just take them and you start spinning them around. They're screaming, no, no. But after a while, they start laughing, right? And they're getting all dizzy. And then you gently put them down. And after they get their bearings, what's the first thing they say? Do it again. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And, uh, virtually the same. I'm not, I don't think God's going to be spinning this around. But there's something about there's something about when, you know, you go, okay, God, I'll try this. And you, you experience, you go, let's, let's do that again. Let's push this. Oh, I thought it works here. Maybe it'll work here. That's what we want. We want that what God does in you brings momentum into your life where, you know, maybe for the rest of your life, you'll go, okay, God, let's do it again. Does that make sense? That's why you're here. And also, to help equip you. Listen, the greatest, most effective ministers are people who have been effectively ministered to. You can't give what you haven't first received. When people really get a hold of some of these things, their lives change and also they are equipped to more effectively help the people they care about. Really, you go, oh, I know why they're the way they are. They don't need to work harder. They don't need this. They actually need to surrender. The, I mean, you just get it. It equips you. And, you know, I'm an Ephesians 4 kind of guy. My job is to equip people for the work of the ministry. You all can get a lot more done for the kingdom than I ever can. My job is, you know, do, you know help you, you know, facilitate what the Holy Spirit's doing. But really, the game changer is, what do you do after you receive? Are you going to take it and go, you know, go a little more in God and over time, figure out ways to bring this to other people? I mean, if, if, if freedom is only going to happen once a year during a freedom weekend, that's not nearly as good as what God wants to do. Wouldn't that be great? Some caveats. I think freedom, it facilitates, and it's part of discipleship, but it doesn't replace it. The discipleship is simply just following Jesus, doing what he wants us to do, trusting him, all those things I talked about. And sometimes in order to go forward, we've got to get free. But I've known people, man, get addicted to always trying to get free. There's a good friend of mine. You know Dan Stanley, right? One of the best counselors I've ever seen. 
And uh, we were talking shop one day, and he, he has a dry sense of humor. And he goes, hey, man, I need some help. What kind of counselor can I give to someone who's addicted to counseling? And I almost answered him. And I, oh, he's just being funny. Ser- seriously, it's good that we experience freedom, but I'm telling you, it can't be the ultimate goal. When you arrive, when you finally go, I am free of everything in my life, I'm telling you, that's awesome. You have every good reason to rejoice. But know this, you'll be in heaven. <laughs> the game's over in heaven, okay? From now until we go to heaven, guess what? There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something. More of God, less of us. Always, always, always. Isn't that true? For those of us who are over 40, isn't that true? You know, we, we thought when we started this thing that when we get to 40, all of a sudden, okay, we won't coast, but, you know, we're good. We're good. But there's always something. There's always some crazy grandbaby who just does something stupid and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then your husband, he starts having a midlife crisis. You know, all the, it never ends. It, there's always an opportunity to grow in God. And not all issues require healing. Some require not physical dying, but they just require dying. The hardest thing, that it, one of the hardest things a human being can do is to look at another person sinning against you. Look it right in the face and forgive it because it's not fair. It's hard. And it re- I choose to forgive as Jesus has forgiven. It's sometimes the hardest thing. It's the dying that sometimes brings us the greatest life. So, won't we all join? Yeah, let's all jump into the death pit together in the next few days. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think I'm an okay teacher, and you guys are, you know, hungry people. But I'm telling you, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to really do the job here. Um, there's limits to our examining ourselves. I call it. Focusing on our belly button. Now, I, I promise you I won't actually do that. But, you know, you know, we get so introspective. Oh, God, I want to do good. I'm going to examine my ways and all that. But we get so introspective on how we're walking with God, right? We end up in two, two very difficult places. Either you look inside and there's always something to find. You know, I mean, imagine having the kind of belly button that no matter how many things you clean out of it, there's always like a quarter, you know, or a piece of popcorn. It, ne- it never ends. It never, and so you get discouraged. You get discouraged, right? Or you can go the other way. You go, I'm good. Right? I mean, you, you can go from self-righteous pride to nothing's ever going to work. When people are so introspective, either they end up hating themselves or they become other people's policemen. I will say that again. No, I won't. You got it. First time. It's, have you the most critical people just can no longer look at their own belly button because they know there's so much stuff. Isn't that true? Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. I've tried to fix myself. I've tried that, but I'm telling you. 
you may think you have all these issues and it might be right. Why don't you just focus on what God wants to show you during these next few days? He's probably aware of the other one, being omniscient. Just saying. All right? He may say, ah, okay, out of the 8,000 things, let's just do this and this and this. All right? We'll take care of the other ones later. Sometimes when we let God just deal with what he wants to deal with, it's like a domino effect. You take care of the daddy issue, then all these other things go... It's just ama- But you can't anticipate that. It's up to the Holy Spirit to show you what it is he's touching you with. When the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, he almost always never yells at us. He just, go, he just turns the light on and goes, there. Many of you are just taking notes, and you'll have that there. You go, there. My dad. He's not going to yell at you. He's not, you may get a little uncomfortable, maybe a little sweaty or something like that. Or really, I've, I've been doing this enough. Some people, when the Holy Spirit's out getting close, other people who don't know me start getting mad at me. They, they're sitting back and going, well, who is he? I don't know how to do that thing. Because I hurt myself when I try. My girls can do it and then go, Dad, can you do that? They want to paralyze me. No, but there's something about, you know, you know you don't know me, and I'm just sharing this stuff, and you're getting all angry. Maybe God is getting close. Okay? But he'll never humiliate you. He'll never condemn you. He'll just turn the light on, and it might be a little uncomfortable. Don't run from the light. Actually, in John, it's really important. Don't run from the light. Because those who run from the light, they actually love the darkness that's in their hearts. They actually love it. All right? The Holy Spirit doesn't just show us stuff that he wants to work with. He actually brings comfort. Now, comfort is not the same as enablement. Jesus doesn't go, oh, so you have bitterness. You, 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 you have said that your anger is just how you are when actually it's bitter. You know, but that's okay, I understand. Don't you feel better? That would be comforting, but it's not the comfort the Holy Spirit gives. The comfort that the Holy Spirit uh, gives is when he shows you something, you're not hopeless. If the Holy Spirit's showing you, you know that he's got a way out. You know, I mean, seriously, the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the enemy is often simply, both of them can point out an issue. Only one gives hope. The, en- the enemy just goes, you have bitterness. There you are. You're stuck. Don't you feel better? The Holy Spirit doesn't just lead to truth and bring comfort and encouragement like there is a way out of this. But the Holy Spirit is a supernatural resource. In, in, in the book of John, this is what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit will, uh, in John 16, the Holy Spirit will glorify me by taking from what is mine and making it known or making it real to you. The Holy Spirit will show you you have a broken heart. The, show, the Holy Spirit will show you that you go, oh, I have a broken heart, but since God's showing me, he wants to change me, that's really good. And then the Holy Spirit, I don't know how he does it, he takes from who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and starts making it real in our heart. And we start experiencing the transformation. Holy Spirit does all that. As we're going through this, I want to encourage you.
be sensitive to what comes across your screen. As you're listening to me, just all of a sudden, you know, if you hate me, you go, okay, God, you're close. Because, you know, if you hate me, just repent because Jesus says you're supposed to love me. <laughs> just saying. Look, I'm worth hating, but just obey God. Just please obey God. But there's something about, be aware when the Holy Spirit is doing things, there will be two resistors. The enemy and your own natural, unsanctified flesh. True. And the scripture is very clear. That battle will always be there. The flesh will always be battled against the spirit. Just be aware of it. And then be aware of the other one. You know when you're sitting there going, oh, I'm so glad I'm here, but I wish. And then you, you fill in the blank of the person who should be here. I think that's really good. That's very compassionate. But hello, you're here. Okay? No, this is for you. And no, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, maybe part of your problem is that, you know, you, you think you're called to rescue everybody. Right? And maybe you're not. Maybe you're just not a really good God. You know what I'm saying? Right? Maybe God wants to set you free from feeling that you have to take care of everybody and everything. Otherwise, you won't be safe. All that weird stuff. Or you're sitting there going, Okay, I'll pretend I'm going through, but I hope my husband is repenting. Yeah. Seriously, don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. Let God worry about him. It's about you. I mean, that's the battle we're going to have. Okay, last thing is this. Because we're, we're just going to have a prayer, take a five minute this, and then we're, I, I don't know what to call that. So that's why I called it a this. Do you remember the story of the crippled guy? This crippled guy, he's lying on a mat. And there's a whole crowd of people around him. And a little bit in the distance, there's this, this pool. And, um, you know, what happened, every so often an angel would show up and stir, stir the pool. And the first person who got in would get healed. So there's a whole crowd of people just sort of, you know, they're trying to box out and get, you know, just get a good place so they could maybe get in there first, right? But this poor crippled guy. And then Jesus, the creator of the universe, Jesus, the creator of the crippled guy, God in the flesh, comes up, looks at him, and absolutely offends this guy. Think about it. Let's say you're all crippled, and you're at a place where there's healing, and someone walks up to you and goes, so, would you like to be made whole? I mean, what, what, well, of course, you idiot. That's why I'm here. And hello, yeah, would you like to be made whole? Would you? What a question, right? Of course I'd like. And if you notice his response, his response was, of course I would, but I have all these excuses. I have no friends, so they can't take me. And have you noticed I'm a cripple? I can't get there. So, of course I want to, but I can't. He has his excuses. Think about it. Here is Jesus standing right next to this guy's excuses. And, he, and he's, going, he's offending him, but he goes, would you like to be made whole? That's the question. You know, we, we love the scripture, Jesus, he never leaves us, right? Ever. Doesn't forsake us, Ever. So here we are. 
with our issues. And Jesus is going, so, would you like to be made whole? Right? You don't have to go anywhere. You don't need friends or relatives. He's right here going, so. And then hopefully you know the story. Jesus goes, well, just pick up your mat and walk. Now, the issue is not the mat. The issue is Jesus just going, you really want to be made whole? Do this. That little thing. That he doesn't, I mean, he's a crippled guy. Pick up your mat and walk. Forgive that person. I can't, that may be your mat. Or it says, I've just made a, you know, I have a reputation of being an angry woman. Everybody knows that I love them unless they cross me and then they're dead. And that's my identity. That's my reputation. That's my sanctity. You know, of course I'd like to, you know what I'm saying? There's, does Jesus will stand right next to all your excuses, all your identity things. Go, Would you like to be made whole? So, as a the preliminary to getting up and taking five minutes, won't we all stand and I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you. We're here. We're not near, we're not at a conference. We're not at a place where we expect dramatic things. We are here with our issues, with our excuses, with, with, with all our stuff. And in the middle of it, you're just going, do we really want it? Do we want it enough to do things your way? Even though the little little forgivenesses, the little surrenders. And God, I, I'm, I just believe I'm speaking on behalf of all of us. We do. We really, really, really want to be made more whole than we've ever been before. That's what we really want. So we're open to the big or even the little things that you're going to guide us and ask us to do. Amen. I'm actually going to start at a quarter after. So whatever you have to do it, whatever you must do, do it quickly. Okay, we're, what I did is I, I just talked, I, I sort of set the stage. So, you, you know, one, you get to know me a little more, uh, but also see where I'm coming from and uh, set the issues. And so, you know, we have a good frame of reference. Now God's going to start filling in the details. So I'm going to pray again. Lord, um, there's something about breaking, tearing down, removing strongholds which many of us have experienced in part. Some of us have not. But we, we know that you're in the business of breaking and tearing down strongholds. Holy Spirit, we depend on you. We surrender you know, the contents of our souls and our minds and search us and try us. And if there are any strongholds that you just sort of turn the light on and go there, so that we can cooperate with you to the tearing down of those strongholds. Amen.
I'm going to lead up the strongholds by starting with a couple of scriptures and saying a couple of things about it. You've heard in Ephesians chapter four, you've heard this, I'm sure. It says, "In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a, f- a foothold." Or in another um, place, it says, uh, "Nor give place to the devil, or give the devil opportunity." You know, there, there's 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 non-traditional military, and then there's traditional military strategies. Um, I'm going to talk about a traditional military strategy. In D-Day, the enemy had taken over Western Europe, and also Eastern Europe, but taken over Western Europe. And so what these guys did, what the Allies did, is they amassed an incredible amount of personnel and resources and focused it on a very small place, Normandy Beach, uh, with the idea of establishing a foothold. Because if you can establish the foothold, then other uh, um, resources can come in behind and then start taking land. That's a standard military um, conventional warfare strategy. This is a warfare strategy not just for military. It's actually... A, war, a, a supernatural strategy. God does that. You know, when you first get saved, guess what? You're a mess. Your heart is black um, from top to bottom, and God goes, boom, he gets right in the middle, and he starts something that was never before, and then as we grow in God, more and more resources go, in, and God starts taking over more and more of our life. That's, it's a strategy he uses. It's a strategy that God, uh, that the enemy uses. And, you know, especially in this scripture, you, you guys have done this, especially if you're married. You know, you may have the greatest spouse in the world, but I'll bet you've argued at least once. Yeah, at least once. Or sometimes you just get things in your soul. Let's say right before bed you get a little, and you decide not to fight. But, you know, good night. Good night to you. You got this thing going, right? And then you go to bed, and you know, of course, you turn your back on your spouse. You know, oh, I just want to sleep on my side, but no, you're really just turning your back. And then you go, you're starting to think, hmm, I can't wait for tomorrow. I'm going to wake up, and we're going to continue this. And she's going to say this. And then if she says this, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. Yeah, but I know if I say that, she's going to have to say this. She always says that. She's always saying that. You know, she never listens to me. Boom, 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 boom. And then you take that into your dream life. So you got this back and forth and back and forth, you know, and now it's in your dream life. And then as you're waking up, you're remembering the argument and all this sort of stuff. It started off with just a little, eh. right? And then when you wake up, you are loaded for bear. Your spouse gets up and looks at you and goes, good morning. And you go, what do you mean by that? I mean, no, it's true, and you all know that, right? Don't let, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Why? Because the enemy will try to establish a foothold. And if you let him take the foothold, then all of a sudden it's like a virus on your hard drive. It starts taking more to the point where you can't even remember what you're, what you're, what you're fighting about, but you're bound and determined to win. You know, that kind of thing? 
something that starts off as just a little foothold can become a castle, a stronghold, something that is a lot bigger than when it started. Guys who just play with pornography the first couple times, it's a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Ooh, yeah, I know it's bad, but I only did a little bit. And it keeps on doing it, and after a while it dominates your whole life, and that, that virus is all over your hard drive. You've gone from a foothold to a stronghold. Second Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons, they have divine power to, mo- to demolish strongholds. What are strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretension or every idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is so huge. A stronghold is simply a way of thinking, a basic attitude, a basic perspective, a set of values. You just pit, and it's, it, it feels true, you believe it's true, you want it to be true, it guides you and all. You think it's true, but it's not. It actually is in opposition to knowledge, the knowledge of God as he really is and the knowledge of God, of God's ways as they really are. In 1 John, you know, John's very clear. He says, you want to love God? Obey his commands. Oh, and by the way, his commands are not burdensome. That really bothers people. Because why do you oh, say no to sin? That's so hard. You know, I mean, God, you really want me to submit to him? He's an imperfect husband. That's so hard. And, and the guy's sitting there going, you want me to lay my life down to that woman? She goes to work on her broom, Lord. What am I going to do? No, I mean, these are how, how people think, right? That's so hard. Seriously, what's really hard? Doing it your way? In the end, your way is way harder than God's way. So there's this deception that God's ways are hard. But anyway, strongholds, there are ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of God as he really is and God's ways as they really are. I'm going to give you an example of what it is to live life with a stronghold and then to actually experience a little bit of freedom. True story. Oh, no, I'll give you two true stories. Here's the first one. Many of you might know Michael and Gloria Cotton, good friends of mine. A number of years ago, it was after Christmas, before New Year's, and we've been doing this every year. We just get together around a table and talk about the one great thing that God did, you know, in our lives. Just a way to sum up the year. And oh, it was amazing. We always let Gloria go last because she always had the best story. She did. And you know, why? We don't want to follow the best story because then we'll look bad. So Gloria, go. For, and she'd go last. So, anyway, she finally got to, and we're waiting, you know. People are crying with our, you know, our, our stories, but we knew Gloria was going to be the best. And she just said, well, one day I was praying. And, you know, I just had my list, and I was going, and I was just praying. And she loves to just pray faithfully for certain things. And in the middle of it, uh, God says, Gloria. And I was a little irritated. And I said, Lord, I'm praying to you. <laughs> so she went back and praying, 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 praying. And then he hears the Lord say, Gloria. And then she goes, what Lord? 
And Gloria said, this is what the Lord told me. He said, Gloria, your opinions are getting in the way of our relationship. Think about that. We all went, oh, that's, that is so true. I wish it were just true for you, Gloria. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there, there are strongholds, ideas that actually get in the way of our relationship with God. And here's the illustration, this true story. You know, I used to be a philosophy professor. University of Minnesota was one of my places. And they had absolutely the best Blue Cross Blue Shield thing. I, I think I had to pay $12 a month for 100% coverage. And they even threw in free chiropractic stuff. And I, look, I didn't even need that. But I said, it's free. Man, and so I'd go there and, you know, you know the, how many of you have done chiropractic stuff? Okay. Any chiropractors here? Okay, I just don't want to offend anybody. Anyway, so, you know, he's doing all this the first time, and, and you know, you've got the new age music in the background, and you just relax and all, and you smell incense, and, and then finally he goes, okay, just lay your head off the table and just relax. And, you know, he's just doing this with my head, you know. I'm going, wow, it's really nice. And then just when I was relaxed, he goes, like that. And I'd seen enough you know, military movies, you know, the guy's dead, right? And I, and I went, whoa, whoa, what did you just do? I just cracked your neck. Oh, man, you could have killed me. No, you couldn't kill you. And I was really, really upset. I was really upset. And, and so I said, yeah, well, why didn't you tell me? He said, if you told me, you'd been prepared. And, if I, and then when I did it, I'd probably pull a muscle. And I go, okay. And then I asked him this question because this came to mind. I go, how do you learn how to do this? And he goes, why do you ask? I said, well, I just have this picture of your chiropractic school having this one wing with a lock on it. And on the other side of the doors are these people that you've experimented <laughs> on. I mean, that, really, that's how I thought. Right? And he goes, no, no, no. We first practice on cadavers, then we practice on each other. And I go, okay. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the story. But, I mean, thank God for Blue Cross Blue Shield 100%. Anyway, when I was born... I was born, my sinuses, radical deformation of, of the sinuses. Uh, my, my doctor, he told my parents, said, look, what, what he's got here on the inside, it's going to look like a jagged moonscape. And he's always going to have problems breathing. And so from when I was born, I became a mouth breather. Very rarely could I breathe through my nose. And that, that, but that's how I started. And so, I mean, I would smell things, but not the way you all smell things. And, you know, I, at the time I was, an, you know, for most of my young and adult life, I was an athlete, and, and I was a mouth breather. <sighs> right? And I could smell steak, and I'd run fast, I could do all that sort of stuff. But I had a lack, I had a weakness that I didn't know what it was like not to have it. It was always there. And so I compensated for that weakness. A mouth breather. And anyway, so no big deal, but I really couldn't breathe through my nose. As I got older, no problem, but then I, when I was teaching at the University of Minnesota, I got this sinus infection. And it, you know, you know it's, oh, it's painful. And so what I did is I went to the pharmacy and got, you know, nasal stuff. And I'd get this temporary relief 
But then a couple hours later, it would come back even worse. And then I, you know, I went for this stuff called Afrin. I think it was just like acid. <laughs> and I used that, and boy, I, I would get longer, you know, longer relief. But man, when it would come back, it was like loads of brick. And I finally went, I've got insurance. <laughs> so I go to this doctor. His name was Dr. Prado. And um, he goes, oh, I know what this is. What, you need surgery. Because, you know, he even used Moonscape. He says, you got all the, the mucus and things like that with the viral stuff in there. And it's like safe haven that when you use the nasal stuff, it takes away some of it, but there's still stuff there growing. And, it'll, and after a while, it develops a resistance. So you can treat the symptoms all you want. It's just going to get worse. I go, thank you for your encouragement. So he goes, you need surgery. What we do is we'll just smooth everything out so that stuff can't hide there. I go, okay, sign me up. So this was the, the week before I was going to start a new semester. So I go in. This is a long time ago. I go in. I'm laying on the cart. And uh, they gave me some preparatory stuff, you know, where you're just really happy. You know, <laughs> counting the holes, <laughs> things like that. So I do that, and uh, finally, Dr. Prada comes in, and he goes, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. He goes, now I just want to remind you that, you know, for the next, you know, week or so, um, you know, you can't work, you can't play, you can't do anything. Your eyes are going to be black and blue, and they're going to be shut. And I'm sitting there going, you never told me that. He's covering his legal you-know-what, right? And, and I'm, I'm under the influence but I'm a Christian at the time. And so I, right there on the table, I go, this shall not happen. My God will not let this happen. And, you know, the anesthetist is looking at me and going, oh, we hear stuff like that all the time. <laughs> so that's the last I remember. I go under and I come out. And uh, the nurses are all laughing at me because in the recovery room, I had this obsession with knowing what time it was. Don't ask me why. But they were just la- they're standing around just laughing at me. And then they wheel me into my room. And I'm laying there. And Dr. Prado comes in. He gets real close to me. Like, like a, a camel was invading my personal space. He's just right here. And then all of a sudden I realized that I could see him. And I went, I see you. <laughs> and he goes, well, yeah, but don't worry. The swelling will come. So he comes back a few hours later, no swelling. I mean, God, I mean, the surgery is a lot different now than it was back then, but no surgery. He goes, oh, well, okay. He, has, he, he knows what I said, but he didn't believe in God. So here's the fun part. He lets me out. And, oh, gosh. He said, all you have to do, don't play basketball, don't hit yourself and all, and then in a week from now, come and, we will take what we've stuffed your nose with. So what they ever, ever see an ace bandage? Imagine an ace bandage made of cotton. Put a plastic pipette in the middle of it, squeeze it really hard, and then shove it up each nostril. That's what I had. And I mean, my nose was very bulbous, and you know, only like small children getting really close to me would be able to see the two tubes. 
So all I had to do to make this has to do with freedom. Trust me. So all I had to do in the morning and the evening is take like hydrogen peroxide and just go just to clear the tubes so things could dry out. That's so I did that every morning, every evening. The night before I'm supposed to, you know, have the, everything taken out, I go in front of the mirror, nothing. Especially one was really clogged. I don't know what I was thinking, but what I said to myself is, well, more is better. So I filled the thing. And, I, you know, hydrogen peroxide, I went, now you know what hydrogen peroxide does, right? So this stuff goes up into my brain and it starts going, right? And I'm feeling this incredible pressure. And then it, it went out the way it came. It started squirting out. And I went, ah! Oh, it was frightening, right? But I could... So, so the next day, I, I, I come and I, and I sit down on his... It looked like one of those dentist chairs. So he leans me down. And then oh, he goes like this. He puts his knee up here. And he goes like this. And there was a nurse there with this metal salad bowl. And that's what it looked like. And then there's this long hemostat. Right? So like, like he's going to kill a bull. So he grabs a little bit of the tube and the cotton and he starts pulling. Right? And he's holding me down and he's pulling. And I didn't know that they had attached that thing to my intestines. I just didn't know. So he's pulling the stuff out and I'm going, oh! Right? And he's holding me down and there's a nurse with a salad bowl. What, you know. And as he's pulling it out, the sounds... Because there's this mucus and the water and the blood and just, ugh. You know that feeling you're getting right here? That's what I had. So he's pulling it out and this thing is coming out. And, and then he goes into the salad bowl. And then he comes around. He's ambidextrous. He goes at me with the left hand. Does the same thing. And I'm holding my breath. I didn't know what to do. It was disgusting. It was, it, it was inconvenient, uncomfortable. And then after he was done for the first time in my life, I went. And I just started crying. That's what it's like to have strongholds. When you have strongholds, you have ways of doing things, and you know how to compensate got ways of compensating. But you know, the more you treat the symptoms, the worse it gets and all. That actually, you need to go through a time of surgery. And it's uncomfortable, maybe a little scary, a little painful. But dang, there's a difference. Look, the next couple months after I... My life, my environment didn't change one bit. But my response to it was, it was incredible. I loved smells. Seriously, locker rooms were my favorite. <laughs> Not, you know, go, yeah... No, I mean, seriously, or, you know, I mean, food. I mean, I would go out to eat, and I'd be going, I mean, I wanted to eat it, but I, it was just a whole new world. One of my best friends, Mark, we used to like talking a lot. We were just standing there watching something, and I kept on asking him questions, and he's talking. And each time he would talk, I would just go like maybe an inch closer. 
I can tell you his wife, probably said, what are you doing? You know, nothing, just listening. No, what are you doing? You're, you're smelling my breath. <laughs> and no, it, it was an incredible thing that... <laughs> I think you get, there's stuff that we carry with us for so long that we think that all we're, what we're really called to do is manage it and compensate for it when God actually wants to do the surgery so that we can breathe in ways that we've never breathed before. Strongholds are like that. And I'm not going to talk about different kinds of strongholds. We don't have the time. But the personal strongholds are the things that we carry around with us, value systems. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not being political, but, you know, there are some value systems, quote-unquote liberal value systems, and you may love them, they're all great and all, but they're actually contrary to what God says is really valuable. Uh, there's a whole bunch of mindsets, a whole bunch of experiences, all these ways of thinking and feeling and responding and interpreting. They're real to us, they're all we have, but they actually stand in the way of our knowing God as he really is and experiencing God's ways as they're really supposed to be. How do strongholds develop? Again, I, th- I think you've, you can sort of figure it out, but strongholds do exist in what the Bible calls the soul. You can try to figure out what the soul really is like, but it's, it's really a complex matrix of experiences, our history, our thoughts, and our feelings. That th- and all these things involve our mind, what we think, our emotions, how we feel, and our will, what we choose. And you all know this. Many times we choose on the basis of what we think. We choose on the basis of what we feel. So if God can develop strongholds, if the enemy can develop strongholds in our soul to affect how we think, our value systems, how we respond, how we interpret things, how we react to things and all that, that will affect our choices. The enemy seeks to establish a foothold. And he plays unfair. I'm just saying. I mean, have you ever had your kids watch you know, a sort of nice movie? Right? It's sort of a nice little kid's movie. But there's that one little thing. And I'm not trying to be earthy, but I, there's this one movie that we had our kids watch. And it was great. But one of the characters passed gas. Right? And, and that's the thing they remember about the movie. That's the thing. I mean, you know, just go, what about all the other things? Remember when Daddy cried? It was so good. Yeah, but he tooted. It was great. Yeah. All this sort of, it's amazing. The commercials. Oh, the enemy is not fair. Or, you know, the enemy will get in there and uh, stir up a, just a horrible, evil situation and a little girl gets sexually abused by someone that she should be able to trust. And at an early age, number one, she feels, I'm dirty, I'm not safe, and, and nobody's going to believe me, and somehow it's my fault. Now the kid gets all that stuff at the beginning of, of, of the life, and that starts permeating how they relate to other people, how they relate to authority and all that. They're, they're, all of us have those sorts of things where the enemy gets in there, Look, I'm, I, I, I'm very perceptive. 
I happen to notice that some of you here are black. Where I, no, prophetic, man. Listen, listen. You know, my parents were great and all, but you know, we used to have to drive through South not South Orange. It was near South Orange. I can't. Huh? East Orange, yeah. That was the tough, yeah. Okay. And there were more black people there than I'd ever seen in my whole life. And my aunt would take us on a tour. And she said, okay, we're going into this area. Roll up the windows. Lock the doors. Why? They're dangerous. You know, I'm just a little kid and I'm going, okay, well, thank you, thank you. You know, black people are dangerous. I mean, really? That was in there. Nobody told me that that was not right. It was just in there. And I'm going, well, you know, I like black people. In theory and in distance. And man, I tell you, it didn't, I did not get over that until I went to college. And, you know, I was a hoop guy. I mean, really a hoop guy. And a lot of my hoop friends were non-white, okay? And I, I'm sitting there going, you guys are dangerous, but you're my teammates and all that. And I finally realized, I mean, it took a little while ago, you know, there are a lot of white people who are really jerks, <laughs> right? Right? And there's a lot of black guys who are really jerks. And there's a lot of white guys who are just awesome. A lot of, I mean, but that stronghold got in there, and I didn't even, what did I know? And, and I, know no, I know none of you have that problem with white people. can't trust white people. Well, you can, sort of. Anyway, there are some of these strongholds that if we don't repent, if we don't see it for what it is and repent and surrender that ground to the Lord, then the enemy takes that, that thing and it's like a virus and it spreads. Unforgiveness never stays where it is. It always, it's like a virus. Unrepentant sexual sin always keeps on going. It's just how it is. It always grows like a weed. Have you ever told a weed to stop growing? Does it live? There are three main areas where we can give the enemy ground, either intentionally or unintentionally. One is idolatry. Idolatry, of course, is any, any God that's not Jesus. Okay, But idolatry can come in the form of false religion or religious practices. I, 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 I imagine a number of you have come from certain traditions where there are rules and traditions which are actually more important than your relationship with Jesus. And we worship the traditions more than we worship Jesus. Guess what? We have idolatry. Um, when we inadvertently get involved in non-Christian spiritual practices, it opens up a door. Um, Freemasonry. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say it. Freemasonry. Wh- wh- whether you're way up high or you're just you know, entry level, just making business connections. You're connecting with a demonic cult which actually injects you with a religious view of righteousness. You're always, tr- you're always going to be trying to be good enough. Freemasonry. Being involved in the occult. A lot of people try to, I love Jesus, I love Christianity, and I'm going to collect other supernatural experiences. And it actually gets in the way of their knowing God as he really is. 
some of the role-playing um, uh, games out there. Good golly almighty. I, it's just horrible. These, these kids get so involved, kids, adults, they get so involved in these things that they start taking on their personalities and if their character dies, they get suicidal and all that. And you, I mean, really, when you start, when you start worshiping something other than Jesus, something's going to hurt. I, mean, I was sort of half kidding, but also not half kidding. Sometimes we're so mad, at, we're mad at our spouses for, for not doing what only God can do. It just, it just is. Man, if you would just be different, I'd be happy. They're probably saying the same thing. Anyway, um, Ouija boards. Just, well, no, I don't ask who's done it. But, you know, Ouija boards, you know where that came from? Ouija. We means yes in French, and ya means yes in um, German. And the guy who thought it up was a practicing Satanist, and he thought it would be cool to construct a board game that would be putting people at risk by saying yes, yes to the demonic realm. Now, And people are going, well, it's just a game. It's just a game. Well, yeah, you come to it, it's just a game, but the game is not a game. So, and, and look, after a while, hopefully you haven't played Ouija boards. I've, I've ministered to a lot of people who've done that sort of stuff. After a while, you pray, you worship and all, and then it's like, <laughs> okay. And you, you start doing Ouija board stuff. And it starts taking more and more of your time. Here's another one, greed. And by greed, I don't mean just, oh, I want more money, I want more money. I'm talking about how we actually relate to money. Some people have developed a stronghold and said, look, I'll obey God when I have enough money. I'll obey God when I have enough money. Now, sometimes God can put a call in our life where we go, man, I've got to get things straightened out so that I can go on that mission strip. That's true. But I'm talking about guys, guys are sitting there going, look, I've got to provide for them, I've got to do all this sort of stuff. Once I'm settled financially, then I'll be nice to my wife. Then I'll spend time with my kids. Then, you know, and, and, it, and they're not trying to be evil, but that's the stronghold in their life. Or, you know... Once my wife appreciates how much money I make to provide, then I'll be sweet to her. You know, there's this stuff that is just running around in our head. If you don't have enough money, you really can't obey God. And then you go the other way and say, well, now that I have enough money, I don't really need to obey God. It's, it's how we actually relate to money. Another kind of idolatry is us. Really, that's probably my biggest idol. I don't know about y'all, but I am my greatest idol. Um, you know that Matt Redmond song, um, The Heart of Worship? Right? Well, there's an anti-worship song. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, because it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus. Have you ever just lived your Christian life in such a way that fundamentally it's all about you? I mean, and we're not talking cliches. We're talking about in the grist of life, how we react to life, how we deal with life, how we deal with past. It always goes to me instead of Jesus. What do you want? And if pleasing you is more important, I'm, I'm up for it. It's just a really interesting thing. And selfishness can come in so many ways. Rebellion. Now, 
rebellion means I, nobody tells me what to do. It's the universal head thing. <laughs> no, nah, you don't have it, sister. Practice more. No, she tried though. No, but there's some rebellion. You know, people that well, I will only respect, honor, or obey those authorities um, who I like and with whom I agree. And you know, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Your best authorities are going to disappoint you. And never mind that God says how you relate to authorities is a reflection of how you actually relate to God. Don't be saying, oh God, I submit to you. Oh, you're my authority. And then you just nobody tells you what to do. You talk about your boss. You talk about your husband. You talk about this, talk about that. It's a, it's a radical disconnect. And, so, and really, rebellion is not something you know, we learn. It's a hard wiring. Am I the only one who struggles with rebellion? You have friends. <laughs> or being critical. Look, it's one thing to be a person of excellence. One thing. But it's another thing to always be critical. You know what? When we're critical of another brother or sister, when we gossip and things like that, you know what we're actually saying? We're actually saying that we are not pleased with God's workmanship. God says, I mean, you know, Paul says, he who began a good work will complete it. And so we have these brothers and sisters, and they're just not meeting our expectations. Therefore, it's one thing to want to correct and try to help, and how can I serve you, how can I help you along the way, and all that. But when you go from that to, I'm telling you, what you're actually saying is, God, I am really displeased with your work in that person. That's a killer. That, and where is it, why is this idolatry? You go, God, my expectations of them are way better than your expectations of them. My, my potential work in them is, is, is so much more valuable than anything you may happen to be doing. Anyway, we're blaming. Look, there's a lot of reasons why we are the way we are. And we can rightly say, the reason I'm like I'm afraid of this is because of what you did. But it's what I do with what you did. Either, either we accept responsibility or we blame. When we live a life of blaming, we are setting ourselves up as God. Intellectualism. Seriously, I think it's really important to be as smart as you can. I love Dr. Ben Carson. He's, I mean, he just goes, come on, think, guys, think. I love how he thinks. But remember, I used to be a philosophy guy. And the worldly view of truth is this. Something is true only if I agree with it and I understand it. You can take that one to the bank. People, there's this intellectualism where we take the operations and opinions of the mind and set them above God. And we go, well, that's tr that may be true, but it's not true for me because I don't fully agree with it or I don't fully understand it. Like, let's take tithing. I mean, I'm not trying to make, you know, take money. I mean, but tithing, how many times? Well, this is my money. Okay, wrong already. 
It ain't your money anyway. But no, but I mean, it's just a, a feeling. And so, so when, so, so when, when Pastor Willie starts talking about tithing and being generous, sometimes people go, "Oh, there's that guy just want money." That's what Christian leaders are. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit has exposed your idol. Yeah? I mean, your stronghold. Isn't that true? But this idea that something is true only if I fully agree with it and understand it. Listen. I've had these arguments with God ever since I got saved. Lord, you want me to love my neighbor? Can we talk? My neighbor, I believe, is going to be the next Antichrist. You know, I mean, God, how can Really? Or forgive as I've forgiven you? Yeah, but they really hurt me. I mean, there's all these sorts of things, right? Or so many men go, look, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Man, I never had a model. Never had the model. I have these jerky guys who want to be macho and all that sort of stuff. Never had the model. Never had the model. Yeah, but would you do it anyway? No, because surely, God, I don't understand that. And actually, I don't agree with it. It's amazing how our pride. I mean, so not, what we're actually saying is, I can't learn. Anyway, sorry. Here's, here's some other self-centeredness. Um, lying and stealing. You know, I mean, lying, sometimes telling, not telling the whole truth is sort of a lie. Stealing stuff. But some of the greatest self-centered things come in the form of reliance on tradition. I know, God, where you could lead me. I know there's new way of doing church. I know there's new, new ways I could do marriage and all that. But you know, that's not how I was raised. That's not how I was brought up. That's not how we do things around here. Hello? That may be true. That's not how you were raised. But surely where God leads you is a place where you've never been before. Are you going to make where you've been the determinant of your relationship with God? Or, I can't go forward. Thank you, God, for the hope. But I have, I'm so screwed up. I have so many issues. I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I can't move forward. And in effect, we're saying, Oh, God, I am more into worshiping my past, my sin, instead of your power and your hope. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm just being clear that we can make our failings idols. And they become strongholds. Or, you know, you, you try to do something. Let's say you go to marriage retreat and it doesn't work. You do it again, it doesn't work. And then the wife goes, let's go a third time. And you go, that stuff don't work. Hello? Why, why think that Past failures should be the determinant of how far you go in God. Does this make sense? Then there's sexual sin. I'm not going to talk a lot about that. Because it's like saying, don't think of pink elephants. Because you start thinking about it. But sexual sin is one of those things that it gets into your hard drive. And some of it is, is unintentional. Many of us, before we knew Christ, we didn't know that sexual sin was really sin. We just did this sort of stuff. But how many, I mean, if you've ever counseled people, you know, they become saved, they start walking in God's ways, but their bedroom's crowded, right? They, you know, they have the one they love, they married, they did it right and all that, but because of their past stuff, they gave their heart, their body, and all this sort of stuff to a whole bunch of other people, it's like their bedroom's crowded. They, they have the memories, they have this, they have the emotional attachments, and you also have the comparisons. Honey, I love you, but that one, when I was 16, dang, she was a lot more prettier than you. It's just amazing the crowded bedroom. And it just gets in the way. Of course, there's a way out of it. You say, Lord, please forgive me. 
I renounce that. Please change my heart. Give me a love for my wife that I never... All that sort of... But we got to see that sexual sin, even if you didn't know it was sin, it'll have effect on your Christian walk. And, and you know, thing, horrible things that have happened to people. They've been raped and all that sort of... I mean, sexual, you know, sexual abuse. There are things that happen to people. And it has this incredible effect. It... It produces walls and dysfunction. And you all know this. And so sexual sin can really get in there. Perversion. Look, Jesus died for all of us here, every homosexual and all that. There's some, there's some people I know that they experimented when they were young. They did it and it was sort of fun, but not so much. Now they're a Christian and they're, they're carrying around this nagging feeling. Well, am I gay? Because I did that. It's in their hard wiring. So there's things that operate in our lives that are a result of things that we participated. I'm not even going to talk about guys, you know, who are, you know, a guy, or ladies who are compromising now. They say, well, I'm watching a little bit of this, or I look a little too much, you know, I'm lusting, I'm only lusting in my heart. All right? Man, we do that, it screws up our hard drive. And then there's unforgiveness. We'll talk more about this tomorrow. But I want to give you an idea of what unforgiveness and bitterness really amounts to. Let's say, all right, let's say there's this guy. And I take a hammer to him, to, to his shoulder. With my considerable strength, I hit him hard, and he goes, ow. A couple of days later, someone else comes by, doesn't have a hammer. All he's got is a finger. And he touches the guy in the knee and says, does that hurt? The guy goes, no. Touches the other, does that hurt? Touches the other shoulder. No, that doesn't hurt. Touches him in the forehead. Does it hurt? No. It's irritating, but... And then he touches the shoulder where the hammer was. Boom. And it hurts. When we have unforgiveness, those are unresolved wounds. And have you ever have you ever noticed sometimes you don't know you have these unresolved wounds and then someone will do that thing that will set you off? Or if you know you have an unresolved wound and someone gets close, what do you do? You, they, they get close and you start going like this. Oh, you ain't getting close. You ain't touching that. Mm-mm. Or if someone hits you there, you just want to pop them. And it's not because you hate them, but because they hit that old thing. All it is, is old wounds, unresolved bitterness, unresolved unforgiveness. There are some great guys. As long as you don't cross them in this area, they're just great to be around. You touch that area, and they're off the race. Same for ladies. And I'm telling you, those buttons are simply god God's showing you that you have unforgiveness. Here's another example. I used to, in high school, I bought myself a car. I, I worked and had enough money to buy a car. It was a little MG. It, was a little, it sounded a lot faster than it really was. So, and I actually did this. I'm driving, and all of a sudden the red light went on. And I reached in the glove compartment, got some electrical tape, and put the tape over the light. 
I'm good to go. Right? The problem with my car was not the light. The light was the indication of something wrong with my engine. Isn't that right? Almost all of our anger issues are red lights. Just think about where you are mo- get most mad or most hurt or most depressed and all that. Find the button. The issue is not the anger or the depression. It's just the red light indicating that something needs to be fixed in your soul. We have many indicators of bondage. Uh, what's interesting, look at in, in Matthew 18, where God uh, gives bitter people over to, to tormentors or jailers. When we yield ground to the enemy in any of these areas, we could be turned over to tormentors or powers of evil that will afflict our soul. I mean, this sounds like child abuse, but it's really not. God said, look, you want to be, you want to be in unforgiveness? I will release you to experience the full fruit of that. So you go, wait a second, I can't live like that anymore. It's an amazing thing. Some of the tormentors can be controlling fears. We're all afraid of something, but things that really grab us. Uh, Severe doubts. Am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? Panic or anxiety attacks. Sleeplessness. I mean, me, I know I'm stressed out. I get stressed out um, over time. And since I have such a strong personality and I can manage stress, I don't know I'm, I'm dealing with issues until I start waking up consistently at 3 or 4 in the morning. My body just wakes me up. And I'm losing sleep, but I don't feel bad. I just got all this energy. Uncontrolled anger. Look, we're all going to get angry. But when you go off, that's not because you're Italian. No, really. I mean, I've heard, well, look, you know, I'm Italian. Jesus died for Italians. You know, or that's how I was raised, man. When we get mad, oh, we just go at it. That's just how I am. Jesus died for that too. Uncontrolled anger is is a red light. Being hypercritical, constantly having lustful thoughts, constantly looking at people and undressing them. Eating disorders, and, I'm, and I know that's very complex, but many times eating disorders has to do fundamentally, with there's a wound, there's an incredible bad thing that happened, and how they process it is, is not the way God wants to do it. It takes a while to undo it. Depression, compulsions, got to wash the hands. Got to wash the hands. Why? If I don't wash the hands, I feel unclean. Okay, we can pray through that. Obsessions, worthlessness, things like that. There's a cost to managing strongholds. There's a cost of living with strongholds. Here's the thing is most of us, we can see the strongholds and go, I'm good. You can live with most of your strongholds. You can manage your anger. You can. But there's a cost. One is, it opens the door to tormentors. I'm not saying that every person in an old age home who is all tormented as a result of unforgiveness. But I know a lot of old, older people that they just never forgave and now in their later years they're tormented and all they can do is remember all the bad things that have happened. I don't want, I don't want to end up there. I, don't want, I want to go minister to those people. I don't want to be 
one of those people. When we live with strongholds, it will bring snares and defeat. We'll be able to go thus far, but no further. You can read the scriptures. There could be a decrease in our effectiveness in ministry. Uh, look, in verse 20 of Second Timothy 2, it says, In a large house there are articles not only of good and, uh, gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some are for ignoble. If a man or woman cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. I'll tell you what this is not saying. It's not saying, look, get everything fixed, and then you'll be effective in ministry. Because if that's, the, if that's the case, nobody's going to be good at it. This is a progressive thing. As God shows you stuff, as you're willing to give up old things, ignoble things, base things, right, for good things, whatever you're called to do, you won't even have to try harder. You'll just have greater anointing, more effectiveness. There's a cost. And you, you can also be used by the enemy. I know this sounds really hard, but, well, Scripture... He's brilliant. He's smart. Look at this. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. That's a hard one for me. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I'm not talking about possession, but look, you got bitterness. If there's unresolved sexual sin, if there's all this sort of stuff, the enemy's, the enemy's got you. I mean, God will use you. You have a relationship with God. But man, if you have bitterness, Scripture says, root of bitterness will defile men. It just will. So, you know, God's sitting there going, he gives us opportunities to see it and go, oh, I don't want that. Lord, how do I work with you? I'd like to get rid of that and replace it with something much better. Breaking strongholds, partnering with God so that strongholds get replaced with the true knowledge of God as he really is. It benefits our own lives. We breathe easier. It'll benefit others' lives. Seriously. I mean, you all know this. You know, if the kids are really screwed up, right, and mom and dad are really screwed up, if you can get mom and dad just sort of even thinking biblically and taking steps, the kids go, what happened to mom and dad? dad? Oh, this is really great. Let's test it out. Oh, they're not budging. It's just an amazing thing. The people that we say we love will be incredibly impacted even by the little changes, uh, little steps that we make. It'll increase our effectiveness in ministry. I'm telling you, every time God... Is, prepares me for a new season of life, for a you know, greater sphere of, of, of effectiveness. It's amazing what God does in my life. He puts me through a meat grinder, right? And I used to think it was punishment. Instead of going, no, I want you to be really effective. I don't want you to try harder. Why don't we deal with these issues that have been there for a long time, but now it's time to deal with them. Yes, Father. Oh, and by the way, minor detail, it glorifies God. No, I mean, you know, I think sometimes we get so cliche. Oh, Lord, we lift you up. We want to glorify you. You know something? When we let God change us, we are an advertisement for God. Because people go, you're not nearly the mean person you were. Or, Mama, 
Mama, you're not, you're not doing crazy things anymore. What's going on? Oh, God really touched me. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or, honey, flowers? You've never given me flowers. What'd you do wrong? Nothing. You're just doing it because you love me? I mean, it's just amazing. When we get, when we get freer, it is advertising for God. So if, if, you're, if you're, even if you, know, you, you love God, let God change you, and people will notice the difference. And when they notice the difference, they'll ask you why. So, here's the cure for strongholds. We're starting to come in for a landing. I really believe it's good to, and we do a lot of counseling, and I love to minister to people's symptoms. You know, calm them down, let them know they're loved, give them things, stabilize them, all that sort of, it's really good. It's never a waste of time. But eventually you've got to come to a time where you just, okay, let's go to the root here. And this is where the gospel is so very helpful. The gospel provides freedom to those who are in bondage. For those who have, uh, it's not just ideas or propositional truths. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free. The blood of Jesus sets us free from all sin. You know, when you take God's truth and really put it into practice, then you're really free. I mean, the gospel, God's way, is not just something you believe in. You put it into practice and you start living it and experiencing it. Bingo. You're ready to go. God's cure for strongholds involves repentance. Repentance is initiated by the Holy Spirit. He shows the problem. But then, repentance involves getting convicted, confessing. Confessing simply says, I agree. God, this is sin. I remember, look, as a Christian, I smoked Marlboro. Right? And I, of course, I would always hide and do it. And I said, God, I'm, I'm going to quit for you. Seriously. I went a whole year quitting for him. I went from a half a pack a day to a whole pack quitting for the Lord. No, that's what happens. You know, legalism. You try to take the law and apply it to yourself and get righteousness in your own strength. Guess what? It will actually multiply the problem you're trying to fix. So I'm sitting there puffing away, feeling miserable. Finally, you know how I confessed it? I said, God... I know this displeases you. And actually, I know it's not something I should want. But I'll be really honest. I really like it. And I, I confess that my like of this is not pleasing you. I agree with you. But I really like it. So I surrender my wanna. Would you change my wanna? You know? And he started changing. Oh, I won't tell you that one. But he started changing my wanna. Confessing. Just sitting there going, agreeing with God. Even if you have no idea what it's like to live his way, just agree that what he's showing you is right. And then dependent on, dependence on God for, you know, he's, he's going he's gonna to love us, he's going to forgive us, he's going to cleanse us, he's going to change us. We, we depend on God for our deliverance and we obey. We just take the next step. God provides steps regain lost ground and experience freedom, not just temporary relief. First, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any stronghold, 
any of the things that I've mentioned, if you're going, oop, that, that's me, just write it down. Second, face and confess the instances of bitterness, idolatry, or immorality as sin. They're not mistakes. They're not mistakes. Jesus died for sin. Just go, God, this is sin. Now, that's not a condemning word, but that's, the, that's God's view of what, what's going on in our lives. And then when we face it, we then claim the cleansing of Christ's blood. It says, if we confess our sins, God, I really don't want to learn how to be a better husband, but I know I should. I confess this to you, for example. He's faithful and just, and he'll not only forgive our sins, but he'll cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. He will start changing our heart. How does he do it? I have no idea. But he does. Fully forgive. When I say fully forgive, if someone, if, if God shows you need to forgive so-and-so, you know, I've asked guys, you know, so tell me about your dad. Oh, man, i got to forgive my dad. Why? Because he, he just was a bad dad. How was he bad? Well, he never went to anything I did. And when he did come home, all he did was, how did I do in school? How did I do this? And it was never good enough. How'd that make you feel? I'll never be good enough, and I'm not important enough for his attention. Okay, now you have chosen to fully forgive. So now you can say, Dad, I don't father. I forgive my father for not coming to anything that was important to me because it made me feel this. I forgive him. And God, you know, um, him, him always demanding more than I was able to give made me feel like I'd never be good enough, that I could never please him. I forgive him for that. It has teeth to that. All right? Uh, it might be a good idea to also ask God to uh, forgive you. Come and think about this. If you have unforgiveness, it would be a good idea to forgive people. But yeah, say, God, please forgive me for my unforgiveness. And then ask Jesus to reclaim the ground that was surrendered to the enemy. I know so many people. They go, oh Lord, I forgive them for what they did. Right? Please forgive me for, you know. And then they stay right there as opposed, instead of saying, God, what they did and how I reacted, it produced this mess. God, this mess, I sign over the title to you. Would you show me how you want to change this mess? God wants to reclaim ground that the enemy has taken from us. He wants to reclaim ground that we've given away. And then you start asking God, God, could you tear down this way of thinking? And it's not just Bible reading. Although Bible reading is important. If you want to get brainwashed, read the Bible. That's a good brainwashing. We're going to wash our brain with something. Might as well be with Scripture. But there's something about asking God, God, I have this way of thinking. I'm starting to see it. Would you please tear them down and show me how to participate? It's just an amazing process. And then be strengthened. Ongoing Scripture memory and application. Ongoing fellowship. 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 Fellowship and accountability. I've seen more Christians grow through being part of real fellowship than simply going, oh, it's just me and Jesus. 
One final note. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. Sin derives its power from hiddenness. So we're going to take about 20 minutes to pray through. How about I'm going I'm to go on your market set, go find a personal space. Really, you know, no musical chairs. Don't fight over a chair. Okay? Let's just go get some personal space and we will pray through. On your market set, go. Don't everybody do it all at once. Now, look, if you've got to forgive your wife and she's sitting right next to you, you don't want to write that down. You don't, or at the very least, you don't want her to see that. Just so you have some personal space, you don't feel like anybody's looking over. Can you wait? Because I want to get us into prayer. Would that be all right? And I do want to hear it. But, oh, God's already after you on this? Oh. All right, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. You've already been talking to us. You've been turning the light on. God, we, um, just right now, we surrender our territory, our soul. God, you're loving, you're kind. And Holy Spirit, you're the one who, you, you lead us in the truth. You turn the light on not to condemn us, but to set us free. So Lord, first, would you show us what strongholds we may have? We can't handle them all. Just show us what you're dealing with. God, if there's any idolatry in our life, if we've been involved in any false religion, if we've been involved in supernatural occult practices, God, if if our relationship to money is, is, is just constraining us and just making us feel miserable. And some of us who are just afraid of always being in poverty. God, if there's any, any, you know, any, any self-centered thing where we lie a lot. If we lie a lot, God. Or if, we have, if we're really rebellious, God, help us just be honest we're rebellious or we've been overly critical toward people like we're always looking to find out what's wrong instead of encouraging what's right God if if we've looked at our traditions our culture our past gosh even our age and we've 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 sort of worshipped those at the expense of some of the new and cool things you're doing in our life would you show us that God, Holy Spirit, would you please just bring to mind briefly if we've been involved in any, in any, 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 any sexual behaviors that are not pleasing to you, whether or not we knew they were unpleasing. Holy Spirit, would you just turn the light on? 
God, and if, if we're, any of us are involved, even in mild compromise in that area, turn the light on. Not so that we can be miserable, but so that we can be transformed and set free. And God, would you start the process of showing us anybody that we need to forgive? And we just start the process. Many times we've we got to open the door and things are much more complex. But God, help us to see who we need to forgive. Not for their sake, but for our sake. Why should we let what other people have done to us determine our relationship with you, how far we go in God? God, just remind my friends that when, when we forgive someone, we're not saying that what they did was okay. We're forgiving sin. So Lord, we just make it clear. If, if there are any areas that you want us to bring to you. And then Lord, I ask that you would do this. We would see what you're pointing out. And we would bring them to you in a way that, in a way, is sort of ruthless. We're not going to play around. God, help us face and confess to you any of these strongholds. And then God, with our mouths, we can confess to you that we've done these things and then re receive your forgiveness. God, we ask for grace to fully forgive those who have treated us poorly. And God, would you help us? Would, would you forgive us for our unforgiveness? So Lord, I ask that you would help us go systematically over each of the things that you put in front of us. So all you got to do, you say, Lord, I have selfishness. God, please forgive my selfishness. I surround. Oh, God, you know, I'm rebellious. Oh, God, I got. I was so involved sexually in all these things, and it's coming up again. I want to just sh put this to, to rest. God, I confess sexual immorality on a wanton scale. And God, I ask that you'd forgive me, transform me, and set my heart free. Take away the shame and, and, and replace it with honor. Go ahead, just go systematically. The only person who is overhearing you is the creator of the universe who sent Jesus to die for every sin you're going to confess. Lord Jesus. And if you've never done anything like this and you'd like someone to go say, okay, I'll show you how to, to, to get the train out of the station, just raise your hand and we'll have someone off to the side, and they'll just lead you through prayer. I'm, I'm going to go into a little prophetic mode. I mean, there's some people, you're just mad at men. I mean, just angry as heck at men. And you know it. And that's just a red light.
Mm. Some of you are so happy to be in this church, especially since it's such an improvement on the bad church that you came from. You need to forgive some of the church environments out of which you've come. Some people taught you things that weren't true. Some people put legalisms on you that you didn't know were legalisms until you got free. You, you, you start developing gifts, and they didn't know what to do with it, so they made your life miserable. What are you going to do with that? You're going to react to that, or are you going to say, "Lord, I forgive them. I bless them. I'm not going to let how they hurt me get in the way of my growing and my calling and my ability to minister." It's really some some of you, you love the church, you, you hate the church at the same time. Jesus laid his life down for the church, especially the imperfect ones, which would be all of them. So we can forgive those churches who were foolish toward us, mean toward us, and we can bless them, not for their sakes, but for ours. Bullies. You've ever been bullied? All you got to do is be bullied once. You ever been bullied? Got to forgive that guy. Forgive, forgive those foul-mouthed words that tore you down in the place that you were most weak and vulnerable. Would anybody like to have someone pray with them just to? While you're all doing business with God, I don't want you to see you raise your hand, but feel there's at least two people who are struggling with loneliness. It's like their whole life they feel lonely. And you don't even know how to do all the other things because it's just a sense of isolation. I want to pray for you. Nobody's going to know that I'm going to pray for you. You won't be embarrassed. So Lord, for, for those who are struggling with this deep sense of I am alone. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would break that feeling and you would invade that space and you would make real the fact that as Christians we are never alone. Lord, I ask that you would bring a deliverance to some of my friends who are just used to the idea that I'm probably going to be alone my whole life. God, I ask that you would, even especially as one lady, God, I ask that you would give her the best night's sleep she has had in years. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a couple more minutes. And really, this is not a ritual or formula, but really just go through it and confess, forgive, receive forgiveness, and then ask God to take over the area 
that the enemy has sort of had some influence in. And then we'll, we'll, we'll fill in details tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. going to rush you. Oh yeah, we are. Sorry. What we've done just in the last few minutes has opened up a can of worms. Your soul. I'm going to pray for us, for our evening, for our morning, so that we can pick up tomorrow morning where we're leaving off today, okay? Don't run from the rest of the day tomorrow. Run to it. Okay? So Lord, I ask that this gentle turning on the lights in our souls, God, it would continue throughout the night in a gentle way. That as things are brought up, we'll be able to say, Lord, I see it. I confess it. I forgive. I receive forgiveness. God, I surrender this area. Would you build a new thing? God, would you just sort of weave that way of responding to what you do in our lives? Weave it in in a foundational way. And God, between now and tomorrow morning, if anybody wants to pick a fight with us, we say now, we will not take the bait. We're just not going to take the bait. Just be Southern. We'll say, oh God, bless them. Bless their hearts. God, I ask that their homes would be a haven where, the, where when, when they put their head on their bed, the Holy Spirit will be there with them and they will be able to sleep in the presence of God, getting ready for tomorrow. Amen. We have started a really good thing. Let's finish it tomorrow. You guys were awesome. Thanks.